We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 389 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Rafa Aldamui, and we've had a little Barca Sevilla to break down. But first, Rafa, I just got done watching Rafa Nadal, famed tennis nephew of Miguel Angel Nadal. Of course, he's most famous as a nephew. I don't think he's done anything else then. But he did just lose to American Frances Tiafo in the U.S. Open. So, uh, you know, I got to say, Rafa, why did that, Rafa? I, I've been saying this. I played high school tennis to people I think I've mentioned on the pod before. I don't understand why he had to be a Madridista. All that time ago, he got he snuck into the Barcelona locker room to get Brazilian Ronaldo's signature, and he's a Madridista. And I wanted so badly through the years to root for him because that was a player. Like that when I played tennis, that's what I wanted to try to do was to cover every inch of the court. Like that's what I wanted to do. Move around, you know, just be quick, agile, like a cat, right? And do the doll thing. But boy, every time I see him with the Real Madrid jersey, Southern Champions League. I just, I always had to pull for Federer or Murray or somebody else. It's, it's a tough one. You know, I don't suffer because I've never been a Naval Stan. My guy has always been Roger. Um, that class, every time they faced against each other, I was, I was rooting for Roger. So same, I yeah. don't have the same problem. Like, I ha- when he wins, it's when I'm like, in a way, I've seen. And then after I learned that he was a Madridista as well, I was like, makes perfect sense for me like i don't if i didn't like him before like quote unquote didn't yeah. like him now i don't i i don't even i, I don't like him plus two so yeah. I, I i don't have the same problem you do in that aspect well what happens like this like djokovic i assume djokovic must be a bayern and chelsea <laughs> and PSG and madrid fan all wrapped into one because yeah he's at least he's the one guy that i'm like ah, i'm out on him i'm out on him but uh yeah, Tiafo at this point, yeah, I'm rolling with the American. Let's, let's get it done. But all right, we know that Kool-Aid did not come here for tennis talk, so <laughs> let's dive in to Barcelona stuff because we're going to go a little bit out of order today. We're going to start with the Barca-Sevilla review in the second half of the show, but we're going to sprinkle in some stuff here. But first, we have to look ahead to Wednesday, to the match against Victoria Pleasant. It sounds like rotation is in the air. Rafa, what, what say you? It, I think it is, but... I, I'm going to go the opposite way. While everybody might think this is the perfect game to rotate, it's Victoria Pilsen, Plissen, however you say it, at the camp, no. But in my opinion, this is a really important game. And because let's face it, anything less than the three points and all hell is going to break loose in Barcelona, Twitter, 
and whatnot. Because after that, it's Inter, Bayern. I don't know how it goes. I think it's Bayern, Inter, Inter, Bayern. So we have to win. Like a draw at the Camp No is basically a defeat. And I know I, we talked about this last time I was here after the Champions League draw. More like people are gonna get Bayern as have Bayern as the winners of the group, and then it's gonna be between Inter and Barcelona for that second spot, or at least that's what the the majority of people think. So if either Inter or us slip against Victoria Plissen, then it's it's really an uphill battle because again, if we don't win, so that I don't think they. In my opinion, there might be a lot of rotations. I'm not saying there there won't be. But in my opinion, if I was Xavi, I wouldn't mess around with this game. Knowing that we then have to play Bayern, Inter, Inter, Bayern. Like, we have to win. Yeah, maybe one or two rotations. But, like, put in, Fer- let's say, put Ferran in. Obviously, Lewandowski is going to play. Like, Ansu Fati, I think Ansu could maybe get a start. At the camp, no. But then, I don't know, start Kessie. Um, and, I, that, like, rotating a lot. I, honestly, I would not rotate maybe one or two players, but that's it. To me, this is a trap game. Well, I don't know. I think in the past, I think there is real merit, you know. But for the first time, and I was thinking about the length of time, too. So for the first time since I've been doing this podcast. So when we're talking about social media and these things that don't really exist outside of, I mean, that exist outside of the club completely. They exist outside of the decisions that are made by Xavi, even by the board, or even actually by those who are prattling it on the Catalan newspapers. Like, this is just like everything about this rotation is internal. And, and while that argument, I think, has merit, for the first time in many years, I think Barca are, they have enough capable players that Xavi, you know, I think he needs over the, I understand the importance of the game, but in the long run, you know, he needs to keep everybody fresh and rotated, and he can still trust that there won't be much of a drop-off, right? Like, we're really talking when we talk about rotation is, how much of a drop-off there's going to be. And what I know about this squad that has been assembled in this transfer window, for which, by the way, I gave an A-plus to on the, the video I did about the, the full grade, that 20-minute uh, manifesto I made last week, but this A-plus transfer window that just occurred, this is a squad that is built to not only be able to be fully capable of taking this game with five rotations, but also capable of taking points off intercomfortably and potentially taking points off Bayern. Like, that, that is how good this squad is. And it's one of those things where this squad needs to just show up and take care of business against this team. And then they can also try to take care with their Gala 11 or with their best 11 against Bayern, against Inter. They, they, they fully have the ability to do that. I mean, just watching the way they started this season. But even rotation, right? Like, what are we talking about here? Garcia limped off, so we could at least, we know that we probably won't see him. And then probably Rajo will also be rotated for Christensen. But Christensen might not be fully healthy. So it still just might be Kunde and Araujo as a center back pairing. That doesn't really feel like rotation to me, even though it's going to be. And then you have Bayerine and Roberto. One of them will start next to the, that duo. I don't even think it's going to be Bayerine. Like, people are saying that is like, I don't know. People are like assuming that he's going to be way above Roberto on the depth chart. But I keep saying it's 100 times over. I think Bayerine was added for depth. It's a one-year deal. I think Roberto is your first, or let's say he's your 1B or 2A right back with Kunde and Araujo being, you know, 1A and 1B there, or Kunde being 1A there. So, you know, I think it could be Roberto. And at this point, you know, I'd expect, you know, usually in normal seasons, as I said, I'd expect the manager to finally give Balde his chance. But he's a starter, so I'm not sure if Alfonso is ready. And then again, now you have a back line of Alba, Araujo, Kunde, 
and Roberto. And again, that feels not like rotation, even though it is based on the first three line or the first three matches of the season we saw. In the midfield, Gabi is probably out for De Young. Is Gabi for De Young really truly feel like that crazy rotation, right? And then I could the big one I think would be if Pedri is sat, I don't think it's gonna happen, but if Pedri is sat for, for Kessier. Because that De Young Boosy Kessier, it's kind of a weird midfield. However, if you're gonna put a midfield who's losing the creativity of Pedri, and you know, they just, you know, other than Busquets really being the creator from deep, you don't really have like, that much creativity. You have just guys who are gonna not only win the ball back, but do have some movement, have some dribbling ability. And again, I'm, I'm interested to see what would happen with Kessier, because I think he can take more of an offensive burden, but I wonder what would happen if he was tasked to be the main creator in that final third, right? As the attacking midfielder, if you will. And then for the forwards, I think you still have Rafinha and Lewandowski. They're not getting rotated. I think Dembele is the one to get rotated. And then, yeah, Ferran Torres has to get the nod, and Ansu will come in when he usually comes in, just like Xavi's promising. And I also expect some Memphis to buy late on in the game. Pionics looks set for the Middle East, so I don't think we're going to see him, but which, which could mean that Pablo Torre, we, I, want, I expect and want to see him late in the match, as in he'll be a sub-rotation and the fifth sub, depending on how the game is going. So by, with the starting lineup that I think is going, like, tipping Xavi's hand here, in that rotation, you're adding De Young, you're adding Roberto, you're back adding Christen, or Alba, or potentially even Christensen, maybe not Christensen, and you're adding Ferran Torres, and that's pretty much it. And, like, that doesn't feel like rotation to me. No. Like, you're adding players that would normally start anyway. Like, I, you know. Technically, it doesn't. I agree. And I know that on paper, we should beat Victoria Pleasant at the camp. No. But and if Aaron Torres, like, let me throw that one out to do. If Aaron Torres cannot, like, be trusted as a starter against Victoria Pleasant, like, we have to be serious. Like, at some point, like, he obviously wasn't going to start against Sevilla. Like, who knew what would happen? Like, Sevilla, you know what I mean? Who knew they were as trash as what they are? We'll get to that. But, like. Against Victoria Pleasant of the Czech First League, but what you have to, has to be a player. What worries me is because obviously on paper, every, on paper we should win and by a comfortable margin. But what worries by me point. is a Rayo 2.0, like the typical game that you're supposed to win comfortably at the camp. No, I'm not saying we're going to lose, but a draw, like I said earlier, it would be seen, seen as, a, as a horrible result. So Terrible. Yeah. I don't want this game to be the typical game that the opponent at the camp no just sits back, absorbs, absorbs. The keeper just becomes a reincarnation of Yashin. And at the end of the, the 50 minutes, we're so desperate trying to score that one goal because we know we can't draw against Victoria Pleasant at the camp no. And then everybody gets nervous. The, that extra touch isn't good, etc., etc. So I don't think, given the fact that I think Victoria Pleasant are going to sit back and defend for the most part, I don't think we, ha- we could like, have the luxury of li- leaving Pedri out knowing that he's one of the few people that can unlock that yeah, defense that. that is going to sit back. So that's why it's... I, I, I'm not being pessimistic, but I think this is the typical game that if you don't approach it the right way and just think, oh, yo, we're just going to run over these guys, it can get complicated and quickly evolve into a Rayo 2.0 situation that yeah. now we're just defer- desperate at minute 70, bringing in Memphis, uh, Ansu, and just trying to get that goal because yeah. then it's like, oh, my God, now we got Bayern. Then we got Inter. Again, Inter, then Bayern. So 
that that's that's the aspect that I want to get at. That's that's why I'm worrying a little bit about tomorrow. I mean, yeah, but Wednesday. I also, but I also think that that like takes a very myopic view of the Champions League because the na- the next match after that, looking ahead, is Kadith. And Kadith is you and I can start as part of like a number like the way Kadith is playing right now. Like you and I, can I would rotate not. for like rotate quote unquote. Given the explanation that you said, yeah. if there was a game. That we should rotate between Victoria Pleasant and the Camp Nou, knowing who we have to face after that in the group stage. And Cadiz, I would rotate way, like, a hundred times against Cadiz instead of Victoria Pleasant. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. Now, you heard me talk last week how Francesa and I, you know, we have never really met in person. We have lived thousands of miles away and while princess is not currently and hasn't been on the show in quite some time he did introduce me and yeah he introduced me to barcel blog and all that stuff and got this started more importantly he did introduce me to nordvpn and the use of vpns and it has been essential and important to all of the viewing that i do whether it's barca b whether it's lower spanish division teams whether it's the leagues I don't have access to, the Eredivisie, and getting that stuff in Catalonia has been essential to doing this whole thing. So if you're bored of US Netflix, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com backslash the Barcelona, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Check out my link, nordvpn.com backslash the Barcelona to get your subscription started today. And I don't need to tell you, but Champions League Soccer is back, streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration starts September 6th. With the biggest stars, top teams, and the craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid... Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live starting September 6th exclusively on Paramount+. Now back to the show. And that's what I wonder, though, because I think, I, I think that's the argument here about the Champions League, that... Barcelona should be in. You have six games to get enough points to win a second in your group in the Champions League. And I think Barcelona, to me, there's actually more confidence of doing that, and it's actually more. It's more destructive to their long-term success this season in La Liga to get that draw or heavily rotate, if you will, against Cadiz. Because a draw against Cadiz at this point in the season, dropping two points after losing those two points against Rayo. That puts you way behind Real Madrid. And at this point, in the way we've seen Real Madrid and Barca start this Liga season, it's going to be, I mean, honestly, I think 95, 97 points. Like, that's what we're talking about, the winner this year in the Liga. I think one of these two teams is going to flirt with 100 points because the gap is just so far right now between the top two and everybody else. So I think, like, just even drawing Cadiz 
in the long run might be worse to one of your trophies than not that a draw again obviously you're right victoria plaza like getting a draw at home would be a nightmare there but again even the lineup that Kadi can throw out there is better or you know we'll say more established players on paper and have more name cachet than even victoria pleasant and like you know me like for many times on this years i always say do not take your opponent for granted and i'm trying not i'm not trying to take victoria pleasant for granted but like i'm trying to do my homework on them right i was going to do a youtube video where i do my champions league preview but i can't i can't like no offense to them but i can't because they beat hjk from finland they beat Sheriff from Moldova, who, by the way, beat Real Madrid last year in the group stage. I always try to mention that. And then Karabag from Azerbaijan, who has both of which have been, that being Sheriff and, and Karabag, who've been in recent group stages. And, uh, but Barcelona, they need to beat a team in the Czech First League, second in the Czech First League right now. So their top players, it's funny you mentioned goalkeepers, is Jindrik Stenek. He is their most, probably the most successful player. He's their highest market value and the one they trust the most. So yeah, ironically enough, their best player is actually the goalkeeper. Defensive midfielder Lucas Kalvic is one of their, their big players, if you will. Center midfielder Pavel Bucha and center back Lucas Hedja. They all are worth, we'll say, worth the most. Like their market value is the most. They've had the most success throughout their careers at other teams. So, yes, their top four players are all defensive minded players, interestingly enough. Left winger Juan Mosquera, who older fans will almost remember here. He was actually part of the Hercules squad that beat the unbeatable Barcelona in 2011, but he actually wasn't because he was out on loan and never played a single game for Hercules. So he was supposed to, and he actually like wrote this long thing in the early days of Twitter about like Barca, down with Barca, because he was rooting for Hercules in that match and so excited that his parent club had done that. But again, his parent club never even gave him a, a match. But he did spend the majority of his career bouncing around the Czech League or his native Colombia, and that is like where he made his living, and he's their best attacker on the wing. So, you know, all right, everybody wake back up. I want to wake everybody up, <laughs> up again. I'm done talking about... Victoria Blossom. But again, that's why I can't even do a match review. I mean, a, a match preview, because there's not much to say about this team. They're going to do exactly what you said they're going to do. Likely have five at the back, and they're going to just dig in, and they're going to hope that they get. And, and I, that, I agree with you that sadly, like, if we focus too much, quote unquote, like, let's say on tomorrow, uh, the game against Victoria Blessing, then we got to play against Cadiz away. And sad, but sadly, in, in my opinion, that's, that's the ugly truth of being drawn to the group that we were drawn to, unlike other no, teams that I won't mention. Yeah. Sadly, in, when you're in a group in the Champions League that you got to fight your way to, quote-unquote, finish second, that, like, inevitably, that's going to affect how you play in the league. And that was my biggest worry about this group. Not that, because I think Barcelona are going to advance to the next stage. It's just how much trying to advance to the next stage within this group is going to affect your your league run because after Cadiz we got to play Bayern in Germany. Yeah, it gets so hard. it's those little things that it's, it 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 affects the way you uh, planificar in uh, in Spanish it, uh you co will coordinate a little bit how you rotate in the league like Madrid won't have that problem because their group is way easier than ours. So that's why I that thought of like, oh, for you to win the Champions League, you got to beat everybody. You got to beat the best. I mean, not 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 technically. Like there's when people win the Champions League, nobody goes, "Oh, this team you don't get two more Champions Leagues or three if you had a tougher road or not." That doesn't matter whatsoever. So 
it sadly it's the ugly truth and why no one wants to be drawn into a difficult group at the start because that affects how you do in your league, whether you like it or not. So yeah. it is the ugly truth of being drawn in a group with yeah. Bayern and Inter. The one thing I will also say about this this particular Champions League campaign that feels entirely different is I didn't do the research on this. I didn't look back at previous matches. I don't think Robert Lewandowski has ever lost this match. If we, is, does that make sense? Like, I don't think Robert Lewandowski has ever been at home and, and lost this match. Like, I don't think that happens. Like, I think even though, yeah, he needs service to score against any team, especially a team that has everybody behind the ball. But I just like, there is something about Robert, Robert Lewandowski, even in, like recently against Sevilla, against whoever, that says to me, like, I mean, yes, 0-0 against Farrah that was one thing. But once he figured out how to put the ball in the back of the net for official matches, especially Barcelona, like, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? And I think he affords you the opportunity to, to rotate a bit. With Rafinha and Lewandowski, like, again, Ferran Torres, like, just whoever, like, name somebody. But again, Ferran Torres is supposed to be a good player, too, and Memphis or wherever it may be. So the last, thing, last little note about this, again, Pablo Torre, we're talking about him here. Again, I really want to see him here because it doesn't seem like he's going to always be featuring for Barca Athletic. I think they're trying to reincorporate him back in. But, yeah, I mean, he's not too sold on that. And it was kind of like, it feels like the Alex Callado thing from the fall, except he wasn't registered at all last year. So he winds up not playing until he goes on loan to Granada. But yeah, Torrey just kind of being stuck in limbo here. He's able to play in the Champions League, but because he's still registered with Barca Athletic, he's limited to what he could do in actual La Liga competition. Um, yeah, so it, that's frustrating on that end. And then the final note here is while the academy heads would lose their minds, like absolutely lose their minds if they saw 15-year-old Lamine Yamal play in the Champions League. I want to remind people that, you know, he did play with, he did train with the first team this week, but he will be in the UEFA Youth League, which again is still a U19 competition. And that's still nuts. It's still nuts for a 15 year old to be playing in the U19 competition. So I want to preface all that. So we have a few, a few more years to wait for Lamine Yamal in the actual Champions League. But yeah, he did train with the first team for the first, uh, for the first time. And I just want to update people on that. Like, yeah, he's 15. But again, I want to remind you, like Gabi came up at 16. Atsu came up at 16. Pedri played a whole season. It's <laughs> like 50 games at 16. Well, or 16 to 17. And he still played 30 games for Las Palmas at 16. So I want to remind you that he's 15, but all of a sudden he's going to be signing that professional contract in less than a year. And then all of a sudden now he's like eligible to play for the first team and we'll see what happens. So I don't think I have anything else on the rotation point. Should we jump into Sevilla now? I think that I, actually here, you let me know the player that you want to start with here. Because you already watched my five headlines. So you know the player that, I, that I'd like to start with, but I'll give you a I did. I mean, I, I did watch it. But to be fair, the I would say, honestly, I think it's Kunde. Am I, like, I, there's a bunch of players, don't get me wrong. But the yeah, one, I, I think it's it's just a little bit of like poetic justice in a way. Like, I get it. Like, Kunde, like, we bought him from them. Like, going back to Sevilla, playing as a right back, we, uh, the reports that... Apparently, that's he spoke to Chavi, and he doesn't like unless needed, like emergency. He doesn't want to play as a right back, so he played as a right back against Sevilla. But the way, I don't know. It's it's just like watching him. It's I just get excited because to me, it's just the what if eventually. Like if nothing, let's all cross our fingers. Nothing crazy happens injury wise. He should be. Obviously, I know he played as a right back, but like. Our center back with Araujo, hopefully, like our starting center backs for what the next five to eight years, hopefully. And then the way he just 
the, the, when he when he he goes forward, whether it's given that perfect cross pass assist to Lewandowski or just that having that knack in in like in the box, like in a way like Sergio Ramos esque, like he had a header that he then missed, but just being able to get to that ball in a way, and then obviously Eric's goal was him knowing where to be and having in that moment having that presence of mind that maybe he didn't have in that header because if he had control that ball he could have passed it to Lewandowski for an empty netter but then after that he did have the presence of mind to be like okay let me cross it back to the middle and Eric was right there for the tap in so it's I don't know I just get Dan, I know you're a uh, you love Eric Garcia and whatnot, but I do I get so excited. I also love Rajo and Kunde too. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I don't have to defend them as much because we already agree they're world class players, and the other one we exactly. say is trash back. So trash back. I just get so excited at that. Like we could we could because we don't know yet how it's going to turn out and whatnot. But the possibility of like, damn, we might have Kunde and Araujo as our starting center back pair for the next five to ten years, hopefully. To me, I know there's Lewandowski, there's Eric had a great game for the most part. Gabi had a great game. But uh, to me, it's just, I don't know, it's just like a little bit of like taking everything into context and the story of like Kunde now being with us and whatnot. And then like the last time we played against Kunde in the Sanchez Pizjuan, he was throwing a ball at Jordi Alba's face, getting sent off, red card. I don't know. It's just, it's just. Well, then two times ago, he also had that goal, like that. Oh goal yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So he, the whole length of the field and shoved it down our throats. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's funny for Kunde because I didn't even have him as one of the five headlines. I put him under big names because I think even with two assists in that game, you think about the missed header. And on two or three different occasions, he so there was that sliding ta- the slide tackle that Gabi had, where the ball was crossed diagonally, and Gabi just came come sliding in to save what should have been a goal because that that ball landed at his feet. It was done and dusted. But so Gabi slides in there, and then there was another one on a throw in where Kunde was like way too far over on the far side. It was always on Balde's side, and Kunde was way too far over. It it bounces past him and then he gets completely cut out of position as well like there were two or three times when his positioning at right back it wasn't it like he was also at times a bit too wide and like not really pushing when he could have or kind of or or there were times when he was staying back when he well I said the same thing when he could have gotten forward or vice versa he got cut out when he tried to get forward twice and then they they executed as Isco did executed in that space behind it was also a bit on Busquets because Isco was playing off of Busquets's right. He would have been Busquets's right shoulder, and Isco was cutting to his left, and Kunde was not picking up that space. Araujo was also he didn't have his best game either. Which again, the positive here is that Araujo and Kunde did not give you their best, and I think that's what Kunde, Rafinha, and Lewandowski that trio does for you. And that is why, again, in all the years of doing this show, like we have not seen not only Barcelona sign players like this because again, you go back to 2014 when it was Luis Suarez. I mean, Ter Stegen took a year or two to even figure it out. But Barcelona signed three world-class players, including Rafinha and Lewandowski. And so there is not a single game that's going to go by when all three of them put in such a trash performance that they don't give you something, right? All three of them are going to at least give you some minimal amount. And so the thing that excites me the most about Kunde is that, I mean, I wouldn't call that game his floor. Like, he could do a lot worse. 
But Kune was making mistakes and not looking great, right? And, and a better team than that version of Sevilla would have made Kunde pay. And yet, the way he affects the game, he always at some point is going to affect this game in a positive way. And what that tells me is, unlike other seasons, because even against Ryo Vallecano, Barcelona played pretty well. Like, that was their worst result of the year. But they actually played pretty well. And there is no team, even Bayern, there is no team in world football that is going to beat Barcelona for not only 90 minutes, but they're not going to be able to beat Barcelona for 65 minutes. I would say between 25 to 35 minutes of every game, even when Barca do not bring their best and they are the second best team on that field, there's going to be a 25 to 35 minute stretch where they're just better than their opponent. And in those moments, opportunity may strike and good things may happen for them. And that again, that is because they sign world-class players, players like Lewandowski and Kunde and Rafinha. And so I think a lot of our discourse, right? I think a lot of our discourse as I'm kind of pivoting to other players here is what if... The holdovers, what if the players we know? What if Gabi takes that step forward? What if Ter Stegen is back to his best? So those are our next two topics, by the way. So you want to do Gabi or Ter Stegen first? No, uh, for example, Gabi, I think it's, it's interesting because up, up until this game against Sevilla, I didn't think, offensively speaking, Gabi was having a great season. I know there was only three games so far, but offensively, I, I, Gabi wasn't having... Good game so far. Defensively, we know what Gabi brings is intensity. That's never going to be under question. Like nobody's gonna doubt that Gabi is gonna pressure. He's gonna bring everything uh, intensity wise. I think we don't talk enough. We talk about his intensity. We don't talk enough about his positioning. Like it's one thing to go crazy. Yeah. But like, like, because we're talking about him like he's uh, what was the guy's name? Like Nigel De Young, the guy who the guy who uh, who uh, ninja kicked in the twenty. Yeah, Chavi Alonso. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we're talking about him as if he's that guy, like, yes. just running around trying to tackle everybody. I know it seems like that, but his defensive positioning is fantastic. Like, it really is. Like, he's always where he needs to be. And even when he goes for those tackles, he's not out of position and, to recover. And, I just want to throw No, no, no. I, I completely agree. And one thing that, to me, it's just, I know this is more like an American sports thing to say, but that dog in him. I loved <laughs> when Pedri got fouled. Mateo Laos. I, I, I just despise Mateo Laos. But the w- no, no, no. It's about the theater. If you think of it, just like just understand that Lahoth, he's going to ref it straight up, straight up the line. But as long as you're there for the party, as long as you're there for his performance, they just give him clap. Just but, golf clap him and give him his Oscar. And well, that's fine. the like, thing. He wants to. He wants to be part of the show, and you're the referee. Like, you shouldn't be. And, like, the way he told Pedri to get up, like, you, if a normal referee would gesture in, yeah. a, in a normal way, but he just, like, like, just, like, come on, dude, like, very angrily, like, come on, get up. And I'm like, dude, like, oh, my God. You, you, I wish he had your hair, because he's bald, so I wish he had your hair, though, because I feel like when he gives yeah. the yellow card, he would throw his head back, right? Like very, <laughs> and then his hair would just fly back and make it very theatrical. And, <laughs> and the thing is, like, in that, that like, 10 I seconds can, after that, Gavi, Gavi's what, 17, 18? He just turned 18, but he... Gavi yeah, has the presence of a 35-year-old. Like, 10 seconds after that, Gavi was like, oh, you're not going to call... I'm going to protect my guy, even though yeah. I'm 18. Have, he has that presence of mind. He literally just pushed. I don't even remember who the hell it was from Sevilla. Gabi, like, on his back, boom, just pushed him. I was like, okay, if you're going to do that, you're not going to do that while I'm here. And I was like, oh, my God, I love you, Gabi. That's, that's that dog in him. So it's just those little things that even though I agree, he wasn't having 
that perfect start to the season, offensively speaking. I think this game, he was way better in that aspect. And defensively, like you said, like Gabby had, like in my opinion, two, three, four, well, however you, many you want to put it, but like great tackles in very important moments that eventually either caught a big opportunity, like negated a big opportunity for Sevilla or started, I think it was Rafinha's goal, started with a Gabby interception or uh, he took the ball from somebody, something like that. Exactly. Then, yeah, it's like so, slid into Scatza, then they scored. Yeah, so, yeah, I think Gabby, the way, like, I, I, I'm honest. I don't think Gabby was having a great start to the season, offensively speaking, but this game, everything just clicked. I don't know if it's because Sevilla is not very good at the moment, but he had a magnificent game. Well, I think he was better than Pedri and Busquets. Oh, he, too, yeah, yeah, for sure. Thing. And I think, how do you replicate that? Was some, one of the things I was thinking the last few days now, that even against Viva uh, the week before, almost every action, almost every time he got stuck in, Barcelona weren't really rewarded. Like, the ball just wasn't bouncing the right way. But it seemed like against Sevilla, every time he got stuck in, every time he went in for that tackle, the ball would bounce off in the proper direction, right, to a teammate, or he'd get those ricochets. And there is some style to that. There is some purposeful, you know, attention to those kind of little details there. You know, you mentioned the first goal that was scored. That was so much of Gabi. He gets a tackle in his own third. The ball, uh, which actually leads to Busquets, like who basically was right there to pick it up. And it leads to a tremendous pass. Barca off to the races with Dembele. Uh, then he does a similar thing actually in the first half, but he also played the ball to himself that time. So he actually tackles, gets in. The other guy falls over because Gabi's apparently made of stone. And so he just pops up. Now he's on the ball. Unfortunately, Rafinha took the shot I mean, took the, the ball a bit wide when he came in for it, and the goalkeeper, did, uh, Bono, did a good job to get down to it in good position as well. Then the second half, it was that tackle I already mentioned for, for, Kun, for Kunde, where he covers for Kunde, slide tackle all the way on the far side on a through ball that should have played Isco through. Like, that was it. And then the 88th minute, after he goes down with cramps, Xavi still doesn't take him out of the game, goes down with cramps, you see the agony on his face, right? You're worried that it was some kind of non-contact in- injury. Pops back up after that. And then, again, 88th minute, he's still shielding the ball and earning a foul. And what that meant for me in that, like, that summed it up for me. That 88th minute, shielding of the ball, getting tackled, knew he was going down. Because with the game 3 nothing, it was, yeah, you said, with the dog in him. But that tells me that he put his fingerprints on that game. And when I'm doing those five headlines, I'm trying to figure out, like, which players stand out or which players are we thinking about. I'm always trying to think which players are putting their fingerprint on the game. And so often... You know, for Celta de Vigo games, like 50% of the games, it's Iago Aspas because they go as Iago Aspas, right? They go as Barry goes. Or if you're talking about Real Betis, right? They go as Fakir and Canales go, right? Like as far as those players take them is how they go. But Barca have so many world-class and talented players who can save you on a day that I'm trying to think what game or whose personality did this game take on the personification of, right? And I felt like that Sevilla win, it was Gabi. Gabi game, yeah. That was the Gabi game, and that's why he was my man in the match beforehand, and, and, and vice versa. And then if, if Sevilla had actually, Sevilla could have been up 2 nothing in the first 25 minutes when Barcelona weren't playing well, and then it would have been the Isco game. Isco was going crazy for a guy that hadn't started in eight years, whatever it was since his last Don't start. Don't get me game, started on him almost killing Araujo on that tackle. Right. But yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with you. But yeah, so then for Ter Stegen here, do you think, I've been asking everyone else, I mean, it feels like Ter Stegen is, we'll say, Back, I mean, not even back, but there is clearly something that is correct about him right now. Yeah. Like that, again, like what, how bad can he be? We know he can be bad. We know he's going to have bad games. He's going to have mishaps. But 
I'm saying for Ter Stegen, what is his average performance going to look like? It feels like this year his baseline performance is going to be better than what we saw the last two years. They, he just seems right. I agree with you. And like I said, I watch your, uh, your five headlines uh, after this game. And that's the thing. Like, I, I want to knock on wood because I don't want to get too excited about Ter Stegen yet. But everything that we've seen so far is kind of leaning me towards to believing that my maybe I could eventually say that he could be back to being yeah. the old Ter Stegen that we loved. I don't yeah, know physically. <laughs> like there was a report that apparently he's doing something different and about his knee injury and shoulder injury and whatnot, or maybe it could be that it was just a matter of time before it healed correctly. But now we're literally seeing prime Mark andre Ter Stegen so far. Hopefully this is a thing that continues. But so far we've seen the Mark andre Ter Stegen that we were having conversations as, hey, is this guy the best goalkeeper in Europe? So hopefully, because like you said, he had... Two incredible saves that maintained the game 0-0. That East Coast through ball to Rakitic, amazing save by Ter Stegen. Mm -hmm. Then it was a horrible Araujo, bless, it, bless him, was trying to play out from the back, had a horrible ball, and then that led to another shot. That I think they, they even raced the flag offside, which I think if that goal would have gone in, it would have gone to VAR, and I think he wasn't, he wasn't offside. I don't even remember who it was. But then Ter Stegen had an amazing save after that Araujo error. So it's it's like slowly but surely so far this season, this season up to September, Ter Stegen is looking really, really good. And like you said in your top five headlines video, hopefully, Dan, hopefully, eventually, we could talk about is the real Thursday and back for good. Yeah, I don't know what the sample size is going to be required of it. But yeah, I mean, so far, he's unfortunately, that's the problem. That there is going to be some regression to some kind of mean. But that's why I'm asking. I'm asking, like, what is the average? What is the mean going to look like? Because I don't think, even at this point, it's actually going to take him to have, like, I think he's going to have to have seven or eight, like, really bad games to actually reach last year's level. Like, that's how far he'll have to dip down. Because right now, the number is 92.3%. He has saved 12 of the 13 shots on target that he has faced in the Liga this year. And according to uh, expected goals on target, he has saved 2.6 goals in the Liga. The second most behind just Edgar Badia for Elche, who has saved an insane 4.6 goals <laughs> per game, which is, I mean, expected goals, which is insane. So Elche, what we've learned so far about Elche, I think this is this stat says more about them than it does about their second, but... What we've learned about Elche is that if Padilla, the goalkeeper, doesn't show up, and he, he got a point off Barcelona last year and the year before, reminder, uh, about that. But if he and Callado has actually looked awesome for them so far, and so if Callado and Padilla aren't there or don't show up or, like, missing through injury, like, Elche is going to get roasted in the Liga at some point this year. But, yeah, so Ter Stegen, that, again, is early signs. And you're not, we're not even asking Ter Stegen to beat Courtois because Courtois was the best player for Real Madrid last year. He won them the title. So... Barcelona is not asking him to do that. They're just asking him to be, I mean, it's a lot to ask, but they're asking him to be a top 10 goalkeeper in the world again. They're asking him, which is what he is, which is what he's being paid to do, honestly, with his salary. Like, he's being paid as a top 10 goalkeeper in the world, 
and that's what he has in him. That's what he needs to do. Again, he, he doesn't have to be in the argument to be, unfortunately, Neuer is still Neuer. Like, he doesn't have to be Neuer or Gatois. He just needs to be the, the very best or, like, the very good version of, of Ter Stegen. But it's also a shame, too, because so far for Barcelona in these games, like, yeah, you get by the lead. That's great. Again, Sevilla, you know, you can't choose when you play these teams. But, like, I mean, how Lepertegui has not been fired by today is incredible to me because, yeah, I mean, Sevilla, they have, like, four players, and it's just it's a disaster over there. And But Barcelona just took advantage of it. And aside from that, like, did it worry you at all when you saw, like, Pedri and Busi, like, not look their best? Or, like, when the subs came on, De Young was kind of, like, bleh. Alba was bleh. Torres was Torres at this point. <laughs> you know, not even Ansu. Like, Ansu did not look like he cared about that game. But they were up 3 nothing. Like, I kind of want to throw that out. That, like, it doesn't matter to me that the subs didn't play well. That's the thing. Like, with Pedri and Busquets, like, yeah, it's very clear they, they, they didn't have their best game. But, it, honestly, it didn't worry me. And then with the subs, like you said, like, it's... But, like, this was a game that... like It was... Sevilla were that old fighter that only had a chance of throwing a haymaker during the first round, and they knew it. The opponent knew it, and everybody else knew it, that if Barcelona, like, withstood that only assault that they were going to throw, but we were going to finish them off in six or seven rounds, which is eventually what did happen. So uh, by the time they came in, it's kind of hard to mentally, mentally, like, put yourself in a game. Like, and then Sevilla, I didn't want Ansu to come in because... I think for Sevilla, whether it was down to frustration and whatnot, they had some questionable tackles. Yeah. So I was like, I hope Xavi doesn't put uh, Ansu Fati in because this game is done and dusted. And then they're kind of frustrated, like arriving late for challenges. So it was yeah, just... Ivan Jardin, former Espanol. Or no, it's Ivar Espanol. I, 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 I don't even remember. Well, anyway, it's, uh, Jordan kind of lost his head a little bit there, yeah. So that's sure. the thing, like, I, I and I think players realize that as well like even like a, a player like Ansu who has had so many injuries and setbacks he knows even a Frankie like Frankie coming in and it's like dude I'm not gonna put my foot like in, in the middle of a potential nasty tackle when we're winning three yeah. nil these guys aren't gonna come back from that they're uh, so it's like dude let's just like put the the brake on and then just go on uh, hit the cruise control button so I think it's hard. I don't want to, like, draw any conclusions of, like, the, the ones that came in. Like, Pedri and Busi, it's just, it, it, it could happen. You just have, by their standards, a not not a great game. But it, in my opinion, it wasn't like they had a bad, bad game. It's just that yeah. it wasn't like a A-plus Busi and, and Pedri kind of game. So, honestly, to me, I'm not worried about anything, like, regarding that. Yeah, I mean, anything else? Like we could. No, like, I'll could add this. Test. I was talking to Julio about it. Ferran, I'll close that like, because a lot of people on my chat were like getting on Ferran, and I know that now that's a thing. And yeah, I'm not Ferran's biggest fan, but I, I just want to tell everyone to like, please, like, calm down a little bit. Like he still, he didn't have a preseason. These first games are being his quote-unquote preseason and he looks like a guy that didn't have a preseason and then on top yeah. of that we don't know how mentally he is handling everything because 
from what we've known from his Valencia days, from his City days, and why he left City, he's a guy that mentally he thinks he is really, really good and that he should be starting. Whether he is that guy or not, that's another debate. But he thinks yeah. he is that guy. And like, I know this is kind of funny, but when he was starting left and right last season, you could see him. He had great haircut. Like You could tell he was going to the barbershop every five days. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Now you see him on the bench, like beard, all mushy. Like he clearly didn't get a haircut. I know that may sound, sound dumb, but to me that just seems like a guy who's like, ugh, like, ah. Who's not that, like, mentally or he's down a little bit. Like, he knows that he's not playing well. He knows that he didn't have a preseason. He knows that it's like, oh, my God, now these guys had a big head start on me. And if they – I'm not going to catch up to them. Like, if Rafinha and Dembele keep playing well, Ferran is not going to catch up to them. If Ansu – regains or Xavi and the and the the team thinks he is fit enough Ansu is going to be ahead of Ferran so I think all those things it's a world cup year the world cup is what two months away so I think yeah. that all those things are yeah. whether we like it or not are bearing on everything mentally for him so and I think it shows like he just He can't go by anybody. I mean, he's not that type of player anyway. Like, he's not a dribbler like Rafinha is. But yeah. it's just like his first touch. I guess everything that he could do wrong for the most part, he's doing he it wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I think we, we definitely need to be patient about the partnership between him and Lewandowski. Like, he very, very rarely in his career has he even worked with a prototypical number nine. I think that is something that, like, that spacing takes time. Like, he last year was given carte blanche to make those runs inside. And some of the best Ferran Torres we saw last year was those balls over the top or those diagonal balls that would try to find him in behind. And again, now that space isn't available because Lewandowski is in the middle field. And that does, again, take time to get used to that. I mean, it could also be mentally that he just saw Laminia Mall and he's like, oh, no, I'm about to be replaced by a 15-year-old kid now. <laughs> like, what's going to happen? No, I, I joke about that. But I think what I'm going to keep kind of saying until Ferran Torres maybe figures it out is, like, there is a difference between form and ability. And I think that's where we get lost in this argument, right? The people who are yelling about Ferran Torres, like, I will agree with anybody about form. Like, the guy looks like a moldy avocado. Like, it's just, it's a disaster out there. But, like, I also know, because I've seen before, whether playing for Spain, even starting with Valencia, and, again, the six and six he had last year, coming in from January. Like, that player last year was fully serviceable to play off the bench for Barcelona this season. And so I know that there is ability in there, but you're right, whether it's mental, again, preseason, physical, and the form he is in is awful. And like, right, so I'm not refuting that he's playing like hot garbage. But what I'm saying is that you're out on that player because you believe that that is who he is, right? And that's a difference because the ability of Ferran Torres is much, much better than the form that he's currently in. And I, again, that's always a reminder about the players that Barca have and bring in. And I think... There are totally players that we can argue about. Like one of the best ones that Frances uh, Tomas and I would argue about, always argue about was Nelson Semedo. Like, I don't know what his ability to his form was because he consistently made you think that he had more to give, but he never gave more at any point in his career. And now we know in hindsight, right? Like that was his ability. And you have, and like, Des is the argument right now, right? Like he's still 21 years old. 
did we see a player in poor form? Well, actually, I think at some point, your players are too young. But even Baron Torres is 22 years old. Like, is he still such a young player that he's still improving, right? Have we not even seen the, high, the highs of his ability? But at this point in his career, did he make his move too quick? And by that, I mean, did he, well, I don't know. Did he move from Valencia to Man City too quick? And then he moved from Man City to Barca too quick. Maybe he already made two quick moves uh, that were too fast for him. But yeah, it's, it's hard to tell, but I'm w- fully willing to give, like, as I said before, until January, like, I'm not freaking about a Ferran Torres. Like, until there's a moment, especially with Memphis now floating around, there might be a moment when Ferran Torres is lost, but he might even need, like, a six-month loan, go somewhere in January. Like, his wages are too high for that, but, I mean, who knows? Like, if he has to resurrect his career and come back to Barca and be fine at 23 or 24 or whatever, you know what I mean? Because Memphis is around. Barca have more than enough attackers to figure this out now. And you can deal with one player. You can deal with Ansu coming back from health. You can deal with Ferran Torres being lost in the wilderness. And you can deal with Memphis, you know, maybe not being... I would be completely understanding of Memphis if he's not totally bought in. Like, he tweeted that he's bought in. Like, I know he's, like, putting that face on. But I totally understand that Memphis is like, I'm the sixth attacker next to the moldy avocado. Like, I mean, like, of course. Like, you guys are getting rid of me the first chance you have. I know that. So I'm not totally bought in. But Memphis also is a gamer and wants to play. So, like... Uh, again, going all the way back to the rotation part, as I wrap this up, I'll give you the final word here, Rafa, but I'm not afraid of the rotation because, again, I'm hoping that that moldy avocado, it, I, I don't know how to do this, but goes back in time and re-ripens. Or, you know, and I, I trust that Memphis is hungry and, and is like, oh, a first uh, check first league? Like, if this is my chance, like, I'm going to take my chance. I'm going to seize the day. Well, hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I hope you're right. The only... And- why I was worried about, well, why I am worried about uh, the next game I get Victoria Pilsen. Pilsen is, I already explained it. It's just I, I'm afraid of having a Rayo 2.0 game. And I, I'm not even talking about taking the L at the camp. No, to me, I mean, knocking on wood. But to me, I don't have that. To me, that's not even an option. It's just drawing against Victoria Pilsen at the camp. No, is basically taking the L given, yeah. obviously, the, the the opponents that we're going to face after that. So at the end of the day, it's, again, it'll be, I, I'm very curious to see how Xavi handles the rotation, if he rotates at all, or like you said, if the rotations that he does, then we're like, were they even rotations to begin with? Like, that's technically not rotating, where you're pre- putting freaking Jordi Alba in, and Araujo, Kunde as your pairing, and things like that. Like, honestly, I think... The thing that was the two things that I would be surprised that happened are if Ansu gets a start ahead of Ferran, and if Bellerin starts at right back, which could be a possibility. There were talks that yeah. that Xavi was going to include him in the in the list, and Marcos Alonso he's not going to be fit because apparently like, he he had an injury during preseason, and they're like handling that a little bit slower. But to me, those would be no, my bad. The three things that I would be surprised about would be if Ansu starts. If Bellerin starts and if Pedri doesn't play, to me those if I if that, those three things happen or like at least one of or two of them, to me that could classify as quote unquote being surprised. Xavi rotated in a way, but yeah, it's just that hopefully we didn't need to get those three points, and I think uh, I think that that it's 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 gonna be way better because if somehow the second game is against Bayern in Germany. So let's put it this way. If Bayern get the job done against Inter, win, we win against Victoria Plesson, and then we go, obviously, we go head-to-head against Bayern. And somehow, 
let's say we manage to uh, draw, then to me, having four points through your first two games, and one of those two games was against freaking Bayern Munich, that then, it gives you a little bit of a cushion going in, though, against Inter in those back-to-back Champions League games. So, to me, that should be the the mindset. Win against Victoria Pleasant and then just be competitive against Bayern in Germany and let's see what happens in Germany. Yeah, I mean, listen, if Inter beats Bayern Munich, then, like, let's knock Bayern Munich on the Champions League. <laughs> like, let's send them home. But anyway, that's, that's still work to be done. Victoria Pleasant is definitely the thing on everybody's mind. So, all right, we got Champions League coming up. It's exciting. First time back in the Champions League, same thing, knocked in the Europa League. So, but an entirely different team. Again, Lewandowski, Kunde, the faces are different. The team is different. Everything is different. And I'm actually excited. So, that'll wrap up another edition of the show. It, we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. You can follow Rafa as well down in the show notes below. Click through, especially if you speak Spanish. Follow Rafa everywhere. Hit him up. Post-game stuff. I, you know, I get my stuff from him. He watches my stuff. I get through his stuff. You know, do my best Spanish translations. But it's also invaluable to learn actually what Chavi has to say. Invaluable to uh, this community as well. So close Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast. Answer the questions. I let you in. There's a match thread in there as well for you to kind of enjoy that with your fingers and your typing. So answer the questions. I let you in. Patreon. YouTube, I had that huge grades video that took me way too long. So I started that video, Rafa, and then I was like, oh, wait, Barca have done like 30 transfers this summer. Like, you forget that Coutinho was this window. You could forget the guys like back in May and like all, it was just so much. I was like, my wife was like, when are you going to be done with that? And I was like, I don't know. It seems like I'm still writing it. And then it just, it was so much. So anyway, that's 20 minutes so that you could actually be able to fully sit down, understand in video format. How great Matteo Alemani did this summer. Knocked out of a park. So we also have a merch store. As you know, that is down in the shows below. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Support the Barca. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.